0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered Podcast. I'm your co-host, Andrew Menzel, joining me on his own this week without Jaleesa Apps. Is Paul Dennett? Paul, how are you?
1: Good manners, how are you?
0: Yeah, really good, thanks. Yeah, Jalisa uh, couldn't make it this week. And uh, obviously one week off wasn't enough, so we had to scramble to sort of fill the gap, and we've got to feature interviews for this show, we actually are going to speak to Jim Maxwell, the voice of cricket from the ABC, and then we're going to speak to current Australian squad member and New South Wales player, Sean Abbott, so... Two adequate replacements for Jaleesa Apps. But before we get into them, let's just talk about, Paul, the T20 series that has begun Australia v New Zealand. Uh, Fantastic to get home on a Monday afternoon and turn on and there's a cracking game of cricket.
1: Well, what was interesting to me was that Australia started the game as favourite with the bookmakers. And I think this just shows the aura that Australia still has. I mean, it was an Australian side that's been in quarantine up against a very good New Zealand side, first hit out in New Zealand conditions, cold night in Christchurch. And Australia is missing up to possibly seven players from its first team. Um, And Australia, you know, most tours these days, it takes a while to get used to conditions. Yet Australia was set out as favourites and New Zealand duly thumped us. Yeah,
0: it was was a strange game from Australia. They started well. They had New Zealand three for 19. And at that point you thought um, Australia could just steamroll the Kiwis. But then Conway... I wonder if there's any relation to Harry Conway, hit 99 not out and set Australia 185 to win. And Australia capitulated to be 131 all out, a complete thumping in T20 terms. Um, And, yeah, not a lot of sort of standout performances from Australia. Good to see Philippi getting a first Australian cap. But other than that, pretty poor night for the Aussies.
1: Yeah, sadly, the talking point is going to be Aaron Finch that – The low run of form he had in the big bash, I've got his figures here, um, 13 innings, averaged 13.8 at a strike rate of only 113, failed in this first game. I suppose the question, Menas, is hopefully he uh, pulls it it out of the fire, but if he fails throughout the rest of this series, do you think he'll be um, axed as captain ahead of the next World Cup?
0: I don't think so. I think Australia will be really keen to keep him as skipper for the T20 World Cup in October, November. But he, he, you know, he he left his late run for the twenty nineteen fifty over World Cup. I don't know if you remember Paul, but yes, going into that, he was in a really poor run of form, and then was able to just get out of it in time. I hope he can do the same. Certainly, though, I think he's on the decline now. He's certainly past his best. But what I think keeping him in the job is the fact that there's no skipper in waiting.
1: And if that is the reason that's keeping him in the job, that is ridiculous. I cannot say how much that annoys me. You, we aren't, we've we never won a, T, a, 50, a T20 World Cup. If we go over there with the arrogance of saying the importance of the continuity of the skipper, that is nonsense. You've got to pick your best 11 cricketers. Have um, me captain it from the couch back in Australia. Have um, anyone captain it. Pick your best 11 players. If he's not in it, kick him out. Maybe we need to you know, go straight to the new generation and get Dan Christian in as captain.
0: Yeah, I'm backing Finch to come out of it. I see what you're saying and I, I, told, I totally agree with you. You can't just carry him, but I have a feeling Finch in this series against the Kiwis will, will get out of this poor run of form. I do love watching cricket in New Zealand on TV. There's just something about it. It feels like a sort of club game, but just like that next level up and, uh, very, you know, very quaint. Um, and yeah, really terrific atmosphere being beamed out from New Zealand. So can't wait for the other four games in the series. Looked
1: superb, Hagley Oval. Um, Hagley Park, Hagley Yeah, and there,
0: was, there was one group that was just on the boundary and they had like champagne glasses lined up above the fence and I was thinking they're going to get knocked over for sure. <laughs> it just looked beautiful. I, I, haven't, I haven't been to Christchurch for about 10
1: years. I, I really enjoy the town and it just looks so pristine and nice there. I don't know why we couldn't get the New Zealand commentary. I mean, I don't mind the Aussie commentary we had in the studio but I always look forward to the New Zealand commentators and so I, I wish we could have those. Um, you know, the, <laughs> said we got Ishigua, David Warner and, and Mark War Looking at us television screen. I mean, I don't know why we couldn't have had the
0: the, the New Zealand crowd. Ian Smuth. But yeah, great start to the series for the Kiwis. They were wearing retro kits and uh, you know, a lot of you might be staying to turn your attention towards the football codes. Well, Don't do that. Keep in the cricket mode because this series and then the domestic summer continues. Big time, as I say always. Fight for February. Cricket is summer. Summer is cricket.
1: You know, the football code's from March 1, they rule, but until then, let's let's keep strong.
0: And, Paul, a uh, pretty exciting week for us uh, last week. We made our uh, genuine TV cricket commentary debut. Now, um, you know, I've been on national te- international television a lot, but I've never actually... <laughs> We're not talking about
1: the crime most wanted sections here. <laughs> I've
0: never actually, you know, commentated a Shield match on, like, Fox Cricket. So I've got to say, I was... Uh, yeah, loved it. Commentated the first two days of the Shield match at the SCG. Um, yeah, fantastic.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, it was a real thrill. Um, and without getting too self-indulgent, I had to look back at the very first ever game of Shield cricket televised, which was just after TV arrived in Australia. First game wasn't because the Melbourne Olympics um, bumped it. But then um, December 1956, the 29th of December 1956 on the ABC TV, New South Wales versus Queensland, televised live from the Sydney cricket ground and said to have been a part of New South Wales versus Victoria live on Fox Sports. And congratulations to Fox Sports for carrying some of the Sheffield Shield this season. Uh, It was a real thrill to to be a part of.
0: And it's amazing the power of putting it on just regular cable TV as opposed to streaming it, because I got a lot more messages of people who just flicked it on and realised the shield was on. You know, if you stream it, there is that extra barrier. You, You have to go and find it. And, look, cricket fans will, and I'm sure lots of people are watching it on KO and their streaming devices, but there is still that sort of generation that just likes to flick on the TV and have it in front of them
1: and even those who are used to streaming you're right it's just that extra barrier and I I got a message from uh, an old colleague I haven't spoken to for years and I hadn't told him that I was calling the game but saying that he heard me and everything else And I thought wow that's um you're right um, there's something about tv
0: even in 2021. All right after the break we're going to be joined by Jim Maxwell back in a moment. Welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered Podcast. I'm Menes, I'm with Paul. And now joining us, we have a very special guest, the voice of cricket in Australia, the, the lead commentator at ABC, Jim Maxwell. Jim, how are you? Did you enjoy the summer?
2: I en- enjoyed um, the test matches against India in particular. Um, it was a, a kind of a reinforcement of the importance of, the worthiness of of test cricket to see the way those matches were played out and uh, how dramatically and uh, remarkably India were able to to come back from uh, 36 all out in Adelaide uh, to uh, secure the series really with that performance in Brisbane. So well done them, They they were brilliant, absolutely brilliant but whether you're an Indian or Australian supporter, I think the main thing to be supportive of was the game of cricket, as uh, they say in the cliche. Cricket was certainly the winner to see Test Cricket played in that way. And over five days, two matches in a row, really re- extraordinary.
0: Yeah, it uh, certainly silenced the people pushing for four-day tests. Do you, do, you, do you think that was oh, one I think of
2: that's dead. That's dead for quite good. a while, that.
0: Good. Do you think that was one of the best home series you've covered in recent years?
2: Yes, because so many of the home series have tended to be dead ducks by the time we get to the back end. Um, it's not often that we can think of a test match in Sydney that uh, was the deciding match of, of, of a series or wasn't quite the same this time with Brisbane being the last test. But yes, um, I think it's one of the, the better series we've had for a long time because most of them have been one-sided, a lot in favour of Australia. Um, and um, this was a, a, a real tonic. And to, uh, to, to see the way India uh, could put their game together around high-quality batting and some fast bowling, yes, uh, that was extraordinary. But I think it did show up uh, some of our um, weaknesses and inadequacies at the moment. Um, which need a bit of work. And I'm not sure about how quickly that's going to be remedied in terms of uh, some batting uh, around um, Smith and Labichain, um and maybe the backup bowling as well, because I'm, I'm not sure of Stark's longevity, the way he's going at the moment. Hopefully it's a hiccup, but um, I think that they need, need someone else around that attack uh, just a just to um, you know, have a bit a bit more strike power when it comes to back to back test matches, anyway.
0: And, and do you think that they need to find someone else for the middle order? Um, you know, to just sort of be that sort of glue at five.
2: Well, it, it's hard to uh, go past uh, someone like Usman Kawadra if you're looking around for an alternative uh, to to Wade um, at num- number five or six, depending where you're going to slot the young Green in. Uh, but I think the major worry for Australia at the moment is the opening spot and how to resolve that because uh, Warner's getting close to the end of his career. Uh, Pukovsky obviously going to be good enough but is he going to be fit enough? Um, hopefully so. Um, but That's a little bit of a worry for Australia because so often test match battles are won by the, uh, the team that Gets the best of the new ball. Um, and then we hope hoping have bowlers have got the better of the opposition most of the time with the new ball in Australia. But um, in terms of getting a start, uh, that's uh, a, a query for Australia at the moment. And longer term, I'm not sure who Australia's opening batsmen are going to be. I'm thinking along the lines that Warner may well be playing his last Test series uh, uh, in the Ashes next summer.
1: Uh, Jim. Um with your uh, immense knowledge of the history of the game, I was just wondering if I could pick your knowledge about some of the, the events of the past. Um, mm. One of them is um, Bob Simpson, when he took over as Australian coach, did, a I think, a great service for Australian cricket. And I've always been fascinated by the fact that not everyone sort of gives him credit for that, You know, particularly someone like Ian Chappell, who's a well-regarded um, uh, person on the game. What's your thoughts on what Bob Simpson did?
2: Well, oh, Bob was the right man for the time. I mean, Border was a reluctant captain, taking over from uh, the Alacrados, Kim Hughes, who departed the scene, and uh, Border really just wanted to bat and um, have none of the other distractions that a, a captain had to deal with as the you know, the media became more and more important in the in the coverage of the game and their demands on the leadership. So Bob Simpson happily came into that role and uh, enjoyed it immensely. Uh, And whilst that relationship went on and uh, Simpson himself brought some some rigour to the preparation of the side that uh, had been lacking beforehand, it was a good partnership. But, of course, we moved on with Mark Taylor taking over and he was more the man in charge than Border. And he quickly put his stamp on it and really that was the end of uh, Simpson's influence uh, other than behind the scenes as a a mentor and a preparer of the side. But um, at the time, uh, Simpson was a very important figure in um, the development, uh, perhaps you could say the rejuvenation of Australian cricket as Alan Border eventually got a, a few pretty good players around him uh, two of them in particular, McGrath and Warren.
1: And speaking of like the re- rejuvenation, um, from my distance, looking at the, the early 1970s, it seemed as though cricket um, came back in Australia because I've studied all the TV guides of the 1960s uh, to see how much was broadcast. And I know that uh, only Sydney and Melbourne were connected back then and Cricket Australia would only allow the last two hours broadcast live into each city. But even with those restrictions... Uh, they only telecast three test matches in full between the two cities throughout the 60s. It's as though they just didn't seem, like, was cricket in um, uh, a slump in the 1960s? And was that summer of 70, 71 when ABC then showed it to the whole country with satellites? Was that sort of unprecedented and unexpected?
2: Well, it just continued the uh, evolution, I suppose, of um, television in in this country. Um, The fact that in that Season we had the first test match played in Perth uh, and we were able to get pictures live from there on. I can remember being um, in front of the TV as a, a youngster and watching um, highlights late at night, early in the 60s of matches in Australia, certainly from England, uh, that would turn up a day or two after the event. So uh, dear old radio Saved us from for many years in terms of live coverage. Um, video was just part of the the evolution of the game. Um, and it was was pretty slow in, in terms of so many aspects. Uh, I can you can remember the use of um, um videotape in news, and you could only run about three stories in the news because it took forever to line up the videotape. And get in you know, ten seconds in the gate and off you go. So I mean, th- th- things um, improved uh, dramatically once we got into colour television and um, all the technology that came with that. But um, certainly in those days, it, it was um, it, it was like watching uh, ants on the screen comparatively. <laughs> Mind you, um, this came home to me recently when we did the test match from Brisbane uh, from Redfern off the screen because we were, as I described it at the time, we were pallet chucked so we couldn't go to Brisbane. (laughs) Um, And we were watching it off monitors. And what it does make you realise when you're not at the ground and you're watching it in that way is how tight, how uh, over tight, in my opinion, the game is shot. I mean, you get, you really, really get a shot of the field of play when a spinner's on so that you can see where the outfielders are. You just have to sort of anticipate, expect that uh, there are blocks out there somewhere because they love close-ups and uh, I, I think they overdo it myself, but it's certainly better coverage than it was with, you know, three or four cameras and black and white shots from one end back in the sixties.
1: Yeah, I think I read that they said that about that famous Wally Hammond photograph of him playing the cover drive in the late 20s, that had it that been shot years later, it would have been so tight that some of the grandeur of the photograph would have been lost. That The new technology is great in terms of the zoom, but I see where you're coming from. Um, going right back to the 1930s, well before all of our times, <laughs> and the synthetic broadcast that they used to do, and for listeners who don't know, the the standard of radio wasn't sufficient or technology wasn't sufficient to get the coverage from England to Australia. So they'd send it via undersea electric cable and then people would interpret it and then call it as if it was live. Is this true, Jim, or is it an urban myth that if you had... They had sometimes two different stations and one station would be giving the scores as quickly as they came. The other would be doing that, um, trying to make it as if they were commentating it and therefore would be a couple of balls behind... So if you were in one household and you heard that Bradman was out, you could walk around to your neighbour and knowing that they listened to the one that was a bit behind and then intelligently say, oh, I don't think Bradman's going to score many tonight. I think he's going to get out and then look like a genius. Do you know if that's true or an urban myth?
2: Uh, McGillivray did talk about it. He said there was some competition. And whichever station it was uh, that was um, competing with the, the national broadcaster's coverage, they used to have a thing called rickety cape. They used to play it was like a whirlitzer or something um, when a wicket fell. Um, oh, jingle, yeah. Something. Oh, um, yeah, I've only, I've only heard this second hand, so I'm, I'm not familiar with it. But uh, other than McGilvray telling me about it over a couple of um, sherbets as usual somewhere <laughs> in town, and uh, yeah, he said it was wickety Kate, and that was a sort of clue that the wicket had fallen. But they did jump the gun, yes, and they got it wrong sometimes. Uh, because, as you suggest, they were being very com- competitive. Um, and, and, you know, they're all relying on this coded message that came through, which was, was essentially uh, gave you an idea by initial of who was bowling, who was batting, and whether it was a dot, one, two, three, four. Um, and then they had to make it up from there. Um, so you had no idea uh, what actually ha- happened. But um, that's why Charles Moses got uh, movie tone to do a, a newsreel thing uh, on the ABC coverage. And you see the shot on the old black and white of McGill um describing, making up this description and the, the pencil coming down. Wendell Bill apparently was the bloke that used to whack the, the pencil on the block of wood. Um, the guy played in New South Wales all those years ago. And they had a sound effects bloke dropping the needle and, bringing up the crowd, and uh, the, 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 they had it all beautifully choreographed, um, but it was all made up, and uh, Moses uh, didn't want there to be a, uh, an impression mm. for a cricket uh, audience that uh, the, the broadcast was genuine. He, he, he wanted to own up to the fact that it was a creation, uh, as genuine as it may have sounded at the time. So that's why they ended up doing that movie tone footage that goes around when people talk about the history of um, uh, broadcast in the 30s when shortwave radio wasn't very
1: reliable. Yeah, um, I think also McGilvray sometimes, or or Wendell Bill, would drop the the pencil almost deliberately late to make it clear that it wasn't, um, you know, they weren't trying to pretend that it it was live. What about the one that, Bodyline, that Alan Fairfax, the former Australian cricketer, was perched in the Eiffel Tower Commentating the game to to England, um, do you know much about that one?
2: I've only heard a little bit about it. I, it sounds like you know much more about it than, than I do. Um, was he, get, he getting messages via um, tel, telegram, telex, or something uh, to his position?
1: Well, yeah, that I think that um, a French radio station had, had decided to, to cover it into England, and they and they they sent him the, the cables, and then he. Collected them all, and then at six AM in England, he did a two-hour kind of condensed coverage of a breathless two-hour coverage, so that it went live uh-huh. live into to England. But um, I, yeah, I don't know much about it at all. I just thought that um, maybe if it's something that Ray ever talked to you about, that it would. It just seemed so so bizarre that uh, the first broadcast of live or radio into English cricket was from, from the Eiffel Tower. It seems mm-hmm. a, a strange occurrence.
2: Well, the most extraordinary thing about um the history of broadcasting, is that really Australia, as in many things that have happened in the world of cricket, were the pioneers. I mean, if you think back to the first ball-by-ball commentary in 1924-25, which was basically used as a a vehicle, of uh, a means of um, selling uh, those big mantle radios in, in Adelaide. It was only broadcast in Adelaide. They couldn't get beyond it at that point. And the bloke called Bill Smallacom did seven days of the timeless test all on his own, wow. um, <laughs> and, and and that was so many years ahead of what happened in England. I mean, England did not do continuous ball by ball commentary of Test cricket until 1957, and the rest of the time it was part of the light programs. And they'd go in in '48, for instance, McGilvray uh, was over there doing the commentary, and Australia took the whole lot, but. On the BBC, they only went over for an hour here and an hour there. So um, Australia was well in front of uh, the mother country in, in terms of um, live, ball-by-ball, uh, continuous coverage of Test Match cricket, and, and that really dated from uh, Bodyline.
1: Uh, and, and McGilvray himself, uh, I've listened to you on, other, on po- other podcasts, and he wasn't always the easiest uh, guy to work with. How would you characterise your relationship with him?
2: Oh well, it's uh, it's ancient, it's ancient history. I mean, I, I, I'll I'll say this: uh, he was my, my sort of um, a mentor. Lead. Um, he's the, the main reason I ended up doing as as much um, test match cricket as I've been able to do because um, he schooled me in the technique of, of broadcasting. Uh, he, he was certainly a, a very formal, almost proper by modern standards, broadcaster, but. That was very much the style of the day. It was all about discipline, giving the score. And he wasn't given to a great sense of humour, and he would admit that. He wasn't a comedian. <laughs> uh, so it was a lot stiffer, put it that way, the, the broadcast uh, in those um, earlier days uh, than it is now when it's it's so much more conversational and relaxed. Uh, and, um, yeah, that, that's how it was. But, I mean, it... Uh, to sit behind him and watch a game of cricket through and listen to his description uh, was uh, the the apprenticeship for, for me. And um, I'm very grateful for it.
1: And in terms of all those broadcasts that have been done over the years, with all the TV footage that's up on YouTube, it's there's not much of the radio That's available to the public. I presume the archive still exists. Is there ever a plan to 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 go back and, I I would think that some of this this old radio broadcast uh, audio would be would have a huge audience today if done well in some sort of documentary. Do you know of any plans to do that?
2: Uh, Well, I don't think there are huge slabs of it. There are bursts of it back in the uh, the early days. Um, Mel Morris. Um, broadcasting Bradman scoring 100 at um, the MCG. Um, I've, I've picked my way through a lot of it over the years, uh, making up uh, the old audio tapes we used to, used to create, uh, on, you know, on cassette going back to those days. Um, so there's a fair smattering of it around. Um, but there'd be bigger chunks of, um, radio because of the way you can digitize and everything else. Uh, from the last 20 or 30 years uh, m- more than b- before that um, you know they didn't keep slab- slabs of it uh, just as they didn't keep you know, slab slabs sadly of some of the um, and, you know, the tele recordings videotape of um, those, those years when they were able to record and um, keep video rather than just having it on film from the earlier. Earlier days, so um, there's a bit there if you wanted to dig through the the archive. Um, But um, I think if you look at what Grandstand is doing uh, with its uh, archival stuff in all sports, they're they're pulling things out and slapping them onto social media in various forms. Certainly, there on Twitter and Facebook and stuff. So um, uh, there is a bit more uh, awareness of their history. Um, And that in itself is an achievement because um, (laughs) if you talk to people about anything that's happened more than 20 years ago, it it doesn't exist as (laughs) uh, the the Frisbee flies around at another BBL game or something. (laughs) Um, We tend to lose sight of the history very quickly.
0: Now, Jim, that was actually an informal application by Paul. He wants, he wants to be led into the ABC archives and I don't think his family will ever see him again because, as you might have uh, noticed, he's a massive um, student of the history of the game.
2: Well, uh, I'm sure there's a way he could go and l- listen to all this stuff, but how much time have you got?
1: Oh, infinite, infinite. <laughs> Trust me, a lot. <laughs> I'll tell you, there's an awful
2: lot of stuff there. I, I, I went through a, a lot of it uh, oh, 30, 40 years ago uh, when we were making up these uh, documentaries. I, I can remember what one we did. We There was a show on television, you might recall, uh, at last, the 1948 show? Yes. I think that David Frost. Yeah, yeah, that's right, John, yeah, John Cleese. And so we, we did one, um, when Lindsay Hassett was, was still going strong, called it last a show for the 1948 side, <laughs> um, which is built around Lindsay Hassett's recollections of that tour. And that was done in, um, 40 years on, uh, 19, 1988. We went down to his, his house at uh, Denham's beach, and uh, down near Bateman's Bay. And sat with him for a lovely afternoon of uh, reminisce. So um, yes, there's plenty of stuff around. Um, I can point you in the right direction, but you, you'll need a bit of time to, to finger your way through all the old tape. I, I'm, I'm, it's probably all been digitised now, so it's, it's easier to, to race through it than it was in those days when I mean, you had to stick the tape up and listen to it, and you know play around with it on an old roller machine.
1: Yeah, uh, no. The time's not a problem. I I've, I've been reading through the 1920s newspapers, so Here anything on on radio would be actually quite um quite <laughs> modern sounding.
2: <laughs> you know, it, there is a sound recording of uh, Tom Garrett talking about the 18 the first test in 1877 in there. It's uh, on an old wire recording. Wow. Um recorded, you know, late late in his life when uh, that kind of thing was in its infancy trying to Record
1: sound. If I could put that on TikTok, it would get it would go viral. I know that it's um it's the you're right in that there's not much attention to the old things, but there there is some, and something like that um it, it'd be good to bring it to a new audience.
2: <laughs> well, I, I priced it out to do a um, a story on the 77th centenary test, uh, and it, again, it, it's you know it's in a in, in compile uh, somewhere there in the archive of of uh, the first hundred years and his, his voice, I, I you know, dug it out and I, I put it in
0: that program. So it, it, it's around. Yeah. Oh, well, Paul's going to go looking for it. Trust me. Uh, Jim, you've been very generous with your time. I just want to throw two questions at you. Uh, the first one is, should Australia have toured South Africa? There seems to be um, a bit of a stink in South Africa about it.
2: Uh, it's very hard to answer that question. Um, Australia, really, since they decided not to go to Sri Lanka in 1996, have been very cautious about any of, any of these adventures where uh, the Department of Foreign Affairs, or in this case, the medical, the health authorities, are a bit suspicious. And, um, going on what Craig, Craig Tiley said, um, the head in tennis Australia about South Africa, I think they're probably wise not to go if only because uh, in even the current situation, getting even getting back to Australia may have been a, a problem. But it, it is a concern that Australia's caution on these tours is leading to the perception, right or wrong, that um, we're playing a bit of a favoured nation's, a favoured players card here, um, and it's not a good look. My, I wrote to Earl Eddings about this and I said, right, no South African tour, you must approach New Zealand and have three tests in New Zealand. It won't count towards the championship. I mean, it's absurd. We're not playing them in New Zealand until two thousand and twenty-four. And goodness gracious, we're not we're not playing any test cricket uh, until the ashes, as things go. So you know, uh, it's absurd the, the way the program is uh, is structured. But um, yeah, I don't blame them for not going to South Africa. but They should be doing something else.
0: Yeah, and it, it just kind of, I guess, follows on from the perception that Australia hasn't been too kind to the nations where the economic incentives aren't quite there. Um, but but I agree with you. In this case, just the health risks were too high. Mm. Um, were. Last question then. Um. Everyone's talking about the, the next Australian test captain. Can it be a fast bowler? Should Steve Smith be given another go? Uh, I sort of think, actually, it's probably too tough being a fast bowler and a test captain. Where do you sit on that?
2: I've got an open mind. Uh, I think if if he, um, if Pat Cummins uh, manages the, the job um, well enough in this part of the season where he's getting an, an opportunity and he's keen to do it, it may be the way ahead. Uh, un- unfortunately, the cancellation of the South African tour is, I uh, made it uh, made it awkward to try and have a transition towards the next captain. So I would think at the moment Tim Payne's probably uh, in there for the the Ashes series uh, simply because um, it's going to be hard uh, to move on. If in fact that's going to going to happen, uh, I don't know. He might retire before the end of uh, the, the start of the Ashes. I don't think so. But look, um, there have been fast bowlers who captain captained and if they're the best person for the job. Um, well, so be it. Jeff Lawson did a magnificent job for New South Wales. Uh, we've had, you know, Courtney Walsh, Capel, Dev. Uh, we've had an Imran Khan, I suppose, if you want to throw in another one. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I think if they're the, be- the best person and, and the more we go, the less likely I think it is that Steve Smith will be captain again.
0: Yeah, I tend to agree. Well, Jim, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. It's been great to chat with you. I could spend all afternoon just picking through your knowledge. Um, what are your plans now that the international summary is
2: over? Oh uh, well, um, I'm going to try and do a bit more work on myself to get a golf swing back, which I haven't been able to um, do for a couple of years now. So that that's it. That's in my mind, and um, well, whatever else comes along. There's not much. Not much cricket beyond um, our shores, it seems, and I, I i don't think we'll be playing in that you know final in uh, in England at Lords or wherever it's going to be played uh, I, I think there's a guaranteed it's a shoe in India will certainly be there
0: yeah, I think so. well, enjoy um getting your golf swing going. I hope it... Uh not as frustrating as my golf game. And thanks so much for joining Paul and I on the podcast. Thanks,
2: Jim. Right up Menes and Paul. Thank you very much for, for having me on board. All the best.
0: Great stuff there from Jim Maxwell. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to be back with Sean Abbott. Hello. Hello, Sean. It's Menes and Paul from the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. How are you?
3: I'm very well, thank you. Enjoying my day. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, pleasure. Paul and I have been commentating on the New South Wales Shield games for the last few years. So we've seen a lot of you playing and it's great to chat with you. Awesome. So tell me what first question. What what happened in the off season with your batting? Did you did you watch a few um, you know YouTube videos or spend a bit of extra time in the nets? Because you've just been smashing the ball to all parts of the ground. Um,
3: yeah, I, I mean I've always sort of worked hard on my batting. Um, you know, I sort of let a lot of opportunities slip um, when I first came into the squad a long time ago. You know, I first came in when I was batting seven, so um, for a while there felt like I was just getting a duck and then 30 runs and then you know or 20 or 30 runs and never really making any runs so but I think probably um what helped the most was when we came back from the UK for the uh, the trip over there for the Australian tour against England we had two weeks in quarantine and you know I just got we we were lucky enough um that we had special exemptions to train for two weeks so um, you can imagine how productive we all were considering that was our only time outside but um, got to work closely with Trent woodhill um, who's been a longtime friend of mine and who was uh, my first my first coach at the emerging blues and got to, got to spend a, a good amount of time with him and then obviously facing the lads in there we only had a small training group of about eight so um, when there's only eight players you know there's there's, there's lots of uh, staff there that can help and spend time with you do
1: you think that's something that is a lesson for the fast bowlers around Australia. I, I remember reading Glenn McGrath saying that the year he got his 50 was because he'd been injured and he, he faced so many balls on the ball machine more than he'd ever done before. Is there a case for... Um, I know that they, you guys work hard on your batting, but to, to take it to another level?
3: Um, yeah, I think we've seen, uh, especially in recent times, how important um, lower-order lower runs can be. And all of us bowlers know how frustrating it can be when... Um, Uh, a lower order batsman comes out and and puts a price on his wicket um, and can make uh, the bowling innings seem to go for twice as long because, you know, you probably should think you should roll through the last few wickets um, and then, you know, guys come out and put on a partnership um, with an in-batter can can be hurtful and get teams' totals up. You know, whatever format that is, obviously, there's not as much scope for that in 2020 cricket, but especially in um, one-day cricket, you can come out and finish in innings or... You know, either on, you know, off your bat, or look to um, play your role with an in batter at the other end, or, or definitely in shield cricket or, or longer form cricket when there's a lot of, a lot more time. Um, I think, yeah, all, all lower order batsmen. You know, it's definitely been a call for that, um, as you've probably seen um, in international cricket so far for so lower order runs.
1: Oh, I can't tell you how frustrating it is as as someone who has the occasional bet on a game when you think that you're going to succeed and the opposition
0: are six for not many and then there's a partnership. Oh, uh, <laughs> I, think, I think Paul might have had money on Victoria last no, no, week. No, 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 no. When you were smashing them all over the place. Um, so I want to ask you a bit of a, a technical question about your bowling, Sean. Yeah. What What are you trying to do? Um, what's your sort of stock ball? You know, are you sort of running and hit the seam or are you are trying to shape it away? What's your sort of stock ball?
3: Um, yeah, I think uh, it's, just probably just trying to get the ball to move as late as possible, whether, you know, that's trying to nip the ball and bowl for sort of wobble seam or when you're trying to swing it, you're trying to swing it as late as possible because, you know, any batter will tell you that, you know, the later the ball swings, the harder it is to play. So, um, you know, I sort of do my best work from a bit wider on the crease um, and attacking the stumps. So, you know, I'd probably say more of a nip bowler and, and when that ball starts to reverse, I sort of um, look to go, go up a gear but um, just trying to get that ball to move as light as possible,
1: whether it's in the air or the wicket. You've been very close to forcing your way into the Australian Test uh, 11. Ha, ha, with your batting improvement, do you think there's any possibility down the track that you could get in there uh, not in the bottom four, but batting at seven or six is a kind of uh, Andrew Flintoff-style bowling all-rounder? <laughs> um,
3: yeah, I mean, I've had the dreams to play uh, Test cricket for Australia and earn a uh, Earn a baggy grand, and I, I think I think my game's moving in the right direction. I mean, if you look, if you if take my stats on face value, they're probably not that great. You know, I average thirty-one or two of the ball and twenty-one with the bat. But you know, I think the last two years have really worked hard to get that going in the right direction, and and probably probably been most notable with the bat this year. Um, We've played on some flat wickets, sure, but um, still got to go out there and score the runs. And now, if a spot opens up and I'm playing good enough cricket that um, I get the tap on the shoulder to say, look, you're going to bat six or seven. Um, I'll grab that with both hands, mate, and mm-hmm. um, you know, look to put my best foot forward, obviously.
1: I've got your batting stats here, just just to read them out gratuitously because I love stats, but um, 17, 18, <laughs> you average 21, 18, 19, 25, 19, 20, 33, and this year, 71. The way you're going, you're probably going to average about 140 next season.
3: <laughs> That'd be nice, wouldn't it, to keep things trending <laughs> upwards. Um, that's obviously what we aim to do is, You know, or anyone always wants to be, no matter what they're doing, keep getting better each year. So um, it's nice to see uh, those results. But, you know, one of the, you know, one of, um, you know, obviously scored my first 100 the whole Christmas. But one of the most satisfying things was being out there when we got home against Queensland on the last day with about, Mm. it was only 18 runs or something. But um, to get home and play a part with a bat um, in in that period of a game, um, you know, I was really proud of.
0: Yeah, that was a phenomenal win. One thing also that jumps out at me is that you, you bowl on a lot of flat wickets in shield cricket, but you seem to you seem to be able to sort of thrive when, you know, your back's against the wall and there's not much around on in the pitch.
3: Well, yeah, I think you have to um, find a way to do well in those sort of conditions. I mean, especially test cricket in Australia, our wickets aren't really conducive to, you know, we've got a lot of pace and bounce in our wickets, but... Um, you know they're, they're typically quite flat for most of the test match. So, um, you know, to find a way on on flat wickets is, you know, it's been you know, it's been tough. Like we've had to get creative some games and to you know sort of play some you know bowl a bit ugly at times. You know, either come around the wicket with a leg side field or um, come really wide of the crease and angle into the stumps and things like that, and sort of shut down one side of the field or look to drive batsmen up and, and play a bit boring and sort of wait for them to. Um, you know, make a move, but that's that's part of why longer form cricket so so good. Right, you, you have the opportunity to challenge batters for so long in any sorts of conditions. So um, while we've well we've got some flat wickets this year, they've sort of been flat in their own way. You know, some have had a bit more pace, but um, you know, last game against Victoria, we, we played a game where you know once the, the air went out of the ball, it was quite tough to get wickets as as a, as a fast bowler because the pace wasn't in the in the wicket. So. Actually, thought the Victorian bowlers bowled really well last week.
0: Yeah, they did. They certainly did. Uh, it was a, it was a tight match at the SCG. Very enjoyable to watch. H- how did yeah. you find this summer being in the Aussie sort of hub and really for a bulk of it not playing a lot of cricket? Was that a weird feeling?
3: Yeah, it was. I mean, it, it was quite funny when I got back to the you know to the Sixers setup. You know, I was I felt really worn out, but I you know I couldn't didn't feel like I could really put that out there um, <laughs> and tell anyone that because I hadn't really been playing any cricket but obviously emotionally invested in in every game obviously I've not been in, I was my first test tour and um, I was out there fielding um, a lot of it um, and then obviously training quite hard in case anything happened and then getting ready for BBL but yeah so from that sense I was sort of a little bit tired but at the same time once I got my teeth stuck into some cricket back here with the blues and, and obviously the sixes uh, sort of riding on the coattails of the, the lads playing well all season um, for the Sixers, um, it, it's been a lot better.
1: Has was the intensity around the Test series uh, and just the the general feel of being around Test cricket was it as you expected it to be, or was it uh, sort of even more than what you'd expected?
3: Um, yeah, good question. I mean, it was. I mean, I sort of had that expectation that there was there was going to be pretty high energy and and, and lots of pressure. You know, I think. Um, the Australian Test cricket team is, is the pride and joy of Australian sport and um, Australian people, and you know we're out here trying to you know knock off one of the, the best Test teams in the world um, on our home turf, and they're and they're you know giving it right back to us and playing some unbelievable cricket as well. So, um, and then to have two games go down to the wire um, on the on the last day of the the Test match, and then for India to do that at a ground and, and in the last game that we haven't lost at for thirty odd years. Um, and take that away from us. Um, was lots and and you could feel the pressure out there and, um, when you're at the ground and things like that. So, and um, it was an amazing experience to, um, to be there firsthand. And obviously the, 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 you know, the results and, and all that weren't favorable and they really hurt the lads. And, and, you know, I, I could feel that, but, um, it's one of those things where although we've sort of lost that fortress, that was the Gabra, and we lost the home series against India. Um, I think that's something that's really going to hold the Test team in good stead over the next couple of years. I think the lads and myself really took a lot out of that
1: tour. And how did you uh, find the, the Indian players? Obviously, the, the from afar, the relationship between the two sides looked pretty good. Uh, what, what was it like being around um, you know Ashwin and Rohit Sharma and Virat Kohli and these guys who are sort of world superstars?
3: Yeah, it's... it's um they're, they've obviously got quite a lot of swagger about them um, you know being who they are and where they're from you know they're extremely popular back home in um, back home in India and and so they should be they're, they're amazingly talented at what they do they've been a very good test team for a, for a long time and you know across the other two formats but um, yeah it was you know I've sort of been around a while now I'm sort of used to it I played the IPL with that at RCB one year in 2015 or 16 or something and sort of been exposed to that before, but, um, yeah, to be there in a test match environment was, was pretty surreal and a a very cool experience.
1: Um, speaking of the IPL, did you, um, it was, it was a boutique auction this year, so not many players are going to be picked up. Did you hold out much hope that you might get a, get a gig?
3: Um, I'm always hopeful. I chuck my name in every year, but, uh, i sort of, you know, I wasn't really expecting to go this year. I sort of had my sights, hopefully, um, Going over and playing some county cricket depending on how the COVID situation um, pans out and it's almost almost forgot about the IPL auction for a for a couple of days there, but yeah. I'd love to go back. It's you know, it's one of especially being a World Cup year and things like that, I was pretty hopeful to go and play some white ball cricket, especially missing out on the, the New Zealand tour.
0: What um, about um, Moses Enriquez? Has he been pretty happy with his three quarters of a million dollars, you know, swinging around the dressing room? <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, I think yeah obviously the, the money's great but I think um, I think Moe's Moe's uh, like me been been away from home and been in the hub for most of this year not playing much cricket or well, he, he played against the white ball series against you know, India and played quite well obviously um, but in saying that he, he missed his he's missed his son's uh, first birthday and um, you know it was, was you know, it was doing a little bit tough like mm. we all were there you know with having his, his young bloke at home and and his family at home. And um, when I saw, well, I, I turned it on just at the time he got picked up and I was chuffed for him that he got the opposite. Like, you'd like to think that he would have probably, the way he played against India, he probably would have been starting or at least definitely on the plane to New Zealand. Um, and obviously it's a bit unfortunate the way things worked out when we have two uh, tours coinciding. But um, although we missed New Zealand, he's been picked up in the IPL and... Um, can keep moving forward and making strong, strong claims to that World Cup squad later in the year. Yeah,
0: you buy plenty of presents for his son; he'll be happy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when he checks. His yeah, don't worry out. about that. Were <laughs> you, um,
1: uh, were you? How how did you feel when the South African tour was cancelled? And were you disappointed that that you guys weren't then considered for the New Zealand tour? Um.
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously, we 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 knew before once we were selected for South Africa that if it didn't go ahead, which was a strong possibility, we wouldn't um be then bridged we weren't able to be bridged back into the the New Zealand tour, which, you know, that's that's the call. I think there was, you know, government protocols and whatnot that start well before you, you jump on the plane and mm. obviously the medical staff trying to keep it safe, so it's totally understandable. But um yeah, I mean disappointed to miss out on both tours. Um I was really looking forward to getting over to South Africa and and, and um being there first hand for some more test cricket. I was extremely jealous of uh Puck and Cam Green getting their baggy green caps and that was quite motivating mm. um for me to see that and then, you know, keep me driven to go and try and achieve something similar. So um pretty disappointed to not go over, but um, you know, let's just keep putting our best foot forward for the blues and, and, and keep getting better and putting scores on the board for New South Wales.
0: Well, don't worry. Um, you've got beautiful Bankstown to look forward to this Thursday, Sean. So, um, I'm sure, it's very similar to you know, Cape Town and New Zealand. Uh, I've got, yeah. I've got three quick questions to throw at you before we let you go. Um, first one is, what was Pat Cummins like in his first game as skipper?
3: Uh, I think he was brilliant. Um, I knew, I knew, sort of, he, he captained us in a, in the few trial games, um, few interest got trial games in the UK, um. Which I thought he did really well. Um, you could probably, you can probably get that sort of vibe from Patty watching him on TV and on, in the international cricket that he's, he's quite level headed and, you know, he always seems, uh, quite even with his emotions and he it was very much like that in his first game. Um, and I, I just, thought, I found it quite beneficial to have, um Patty as captain, uh, obviously being the great bowler that he is. Um, you know, just getting that, you know, Two bowlers talk to each other at mid on, um, while I'm bowling my overs. You know, also as a captain, but you know, he's coming from a bowler's point of view as well. I found that quite helpful.
0: That's great. He he can do everything. Pat Cummins, can't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's quite gifted, the young lad. <laughs> um, now uh, the the other que- the other two questions is um, around the BBL. You know, everyone always every year sort of talks about the length of the BBL. Do you like the full home and away season as a player? Um, yeah, I think,
3: yeah. I mean, I'm, I, yeah, it's, it's, good. it's a hard one to get right because you, you want as many games as you can without taking away from the product and you, want, you still want an even contest. So the even contest would be, you know, everyone getting to, you know, you get to play each team home and away in your home conditions and then away at theirs. Um, and I was okay with that. Obviously, things were quite different this year. Challenging being in hubs and whatnot. Um, and our first home game was the final. So, um, yeah, to to be fair, it's it's a hard one to get right. And, um, I'm sure we'll, we'll have to do some tweaking to, to get that right and get the balance right. Because there was obviously that year where it really dragged out. And there were, there were times when we had, um, I think there was barely anyone in the ground at the SCG before the game started because we had um, three home games and then you know, we had the, the derby against the Thunder on the weekend. So I was just like, we'll wait till the weekend, obviously, to, to come. So um, I don't mind the full home and away season in answer to your question. Um, you know, obviously, I think that's a good starting point to tweak from there.
0: Yeah, just it, it, it is just about the sort of minutia of the fixturing. I know what you're talking about. I think it, the regular season sort of bled into February, and once the kids were back at school, there was just no one at the SCG for the games. And yeah, um, certainly something to tweak. And uh, final question from me: um, You know, there's been a, a discussion this week that perhaps domestic players aren't playing enough 50 over cricket, and even sort of looking at maybe making the the state competition a big bash franchise is playing 50 over cricket. I mean, do you feel as a player you're not getting enough uh, 50 over cricket?
3: Um, obviously, I had a little bit at the start of the season in the UK. and um, but Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's hard with the scheduling just because to juggle all three forms and, and how they want to do that, um, especially this year, it, that's just thrown everything in you know, and made everything quite difficult with um, getting a full season and schedule in. but. Yeah, obviously, I'd I'd like to sort of play as much cricket as I can, but without without taking away from the balance of other things uh, like your life away from home and not being as a domestic cricketer, not being away from home for the full you know the full season. But I um, in saying that one day cricket only goes for one day, and I don't know how they would restructure that in in terms of having uh, more one day cricket. But I think it's definitely something to look into. Um, Especially with there being so much wild ball cricket um, going on over the next couple of years, we've got the, you know, the T the Twenty World Cup at the end of this year, and then the One Day World Cup next year. Um, maybe that's something to look into for next season with the with the One Day World Cup coming up.
0: Yeah, we could have a, a Sydney Sixers Sydney Thunder fifty over derby. I mean, that's, I guess, that's the attraction of um, making the franchises play fifty over cricket. You sort of you feed into that rivalry built up in the Big Bash.
3: Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that could 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 definitely be an option. Um, you know, ride right, ride right the back of the Big Bash wave um, to make to make more or to make one day cricket uh, more appealing uh, for kids and families to not only come up come down to watch, but um, if, if you can make it day night, a lot more day night cricket as well, where people can watch it after work and things like that. That would obviously be great.
1: Last one for me, Sean. Uh, do you have your eye at all on the 2023 Ashes? I know, as a fan, I do. It's something in the back of my mind. I'd love to go over there and, and watch a few games. That that must still be the ultimate dream for for a cricketer, is it?
3: Absolutely. I mean, obviously, Test match cricket's the dream, but to play the pinnacle of that for Australian cricketers is, um, you know, playing in an Ashes tour and and being playing a huge part in in an Ashes series when which would be, you know. That's definitely what dreams are made of. So I've definitely got an eye towards that. There's a lot of cricket to be played between now and then. But, um, yeah, that's definitely something that I want to be a part of.
0: I reckon your bowling would be pretty handy on those English pitches, just throwing it up there (laughs) and hitting it. What, What was that?
3: Spread the word, let us like this. (laughs) I will, yeah. Starting the campaign
0: right here. Um, Cracker, if you're listening, just pencil it in. Um, Well, Sean, thank you so much for your time. Good luck when The Shield resumes this Thursday and you get a chance to turn the tables on those Vicks. Um, Best of luck and uh, hope to catch up with you soon.
1: Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me on, gentlemen.
0: That was Sean Abbott there from the... Australian squad lovely chap isn't he Paul
1: yeah definitely and you're right he would be good in English conditions with a red ball all
0: right we'll take our final break then we'll be back with can't let it go you're listening to the cricket unfiltered podcast I'm Menes I'm with Paul and it is can't let it go time that little bit of cricket news you just can't let go through to the keeper and uh yeah, Paul, what's your can't let it go for this week?
1: I've got three because it seems in recent weeks that you and Jaleesa have been having two, three and four, so I've just come to the party. Number one, I break the big news on this podcast. Three years ago, I announced on the show, uh, it was about a week after everyone else would have announced it, but I wanted to make it clear that the Delhi Daredevils had become the Delhi Capitals in the IPL. I remember and I can't remember who we were doing with at the time, both of you instantly fell asleep and looked at me just to say that was unworthy of the being on the show. <laughs> well, I've got some new breaking news. The- <laughs> Kings 11 Punjab are now the Punjab Kings. Um, And this is good because I do not like it with my adult brain of teams that have something other than the city as the first name. So Royal Challengers Bangalore, take note and call yourself the Bangalore Challengers or something like that. Uh, A lovely, lovely little development. (laughs) Big breaking news. Um, My real can't let it go. Christian Vieri, those of you who watched the... France World Cup of 1998 will remember him scoring a wonderful goal for Italy in one of the first games of the tournament, which then led to one of the most incongruous and delightful things that I can think of, and that was a photo of Alan Border appearing in the next day's newspaper in in Italy. That's because Christian Vieri grew up in Sydney, and so the, the Italian media asked him, who's your sporting hero, expecting Maradona or Pelé or whatever, and he got... Alan Border, um, because he was a big cricket fan. Anyway, Vieri now forty seven has lived in Italy ever since. Is keen to start to make a bid for the Italian cricket team. Um, there's a there's some beautiful footage of him batting in a piazza in in Italy with a <laughs> very confused crowd looking on. Uh, so, um, Christian Vieri, we should get him on the podcast, manners. Yeah, definitely. He fancies himself as a cricketer, doesn't he? Well, he'd obviously be good. Um, You know, you can't be that good at sport and not be good at... And he he played. He said if he'd stayed in Australia, he would have um, played at a high level. And finally, just to make sure that um, I'm keeping current, just a little thing that I saw from a Twitter account I recommend everyone follow called At Picture Sporting. It's um, historic historic cricket pictures that they put on... Uh, Twitter. It was a lovely photo of the Sydney cricket ground from December nineteen oh three. It just looks magnificent. There's the, the members and the ladies stand that are still there. And they are talking about their pride at being able to get a cable from that game to London in the astonishing time of just three and a half minutes. that The score from the SCG was straight to Fleet Street and they described the the, the journey that it had to go over, 20,000 kilometres under the sea from Sydney to Brisbane to Fiji to Fanning Island to Vancouver, Montreal, Cape Breton, Newfoundland, Valentia, and then to London. And I just thought, hasn't
0: the world changed a lot in the last um, 117 years? Yeah, amazing. Uh, now you can get them in a blink of an eyelid. Well, even less, probably. Um, Indeed. Or blink of an eye. Blink of an eyelid. Either one. Um, all right. Now, well, Mike can't let it go. I feel kind of um, inadequate because I've just got one for a change. That's okay, man.
1: That's okay, mate.
0: Yeah, I'm used to it. Um, <laughs> look, I I, I I, am sick of negative bowling tactics to Steve Smith. So I get in the commentary box on the, the first day of the Shield match, and Victoria has set this leg side field They had... 11 players on the leg side, no one on the offside, and they're bowling to his leg stump. And I'm thinking, this is not the way Australians should play cricket. I can understand a team like India comes here and they're going to do whatever they can to win the Test Series, whether that's playing attractive cricket or not. But for me, the Australian way is, if you've got bowlers like James Pattinson and Scott Boland and John Holland, take on Steve Smith. Don't set a negative field and play boring cricket. To me, it's un-Australian. Uh, it, was, it was terrible tactics, and in the end, Mitch Perry got Steve Smith out caught on the offside, so didn't work anyway, so I'm going to say I am sick of negative cricket tactics, and Victoria, you can do better. And if
1: you'd like to just replay all of what Minna said and change everything to the opposite, then you'll have a how I think of it. <laughs> I think it was very smart tactics from Victoria. Well,
0: you would think that, but I just don't think... They got him out for seven. No, I just, but that, that didn't get him out. They abandoned those tactics, and Mitch Perry started throwing the ball wide of off stump. So.
1: I'll tell you what Steve Smith should have done, is play more shots. Seven off 35 he got. Now, it's easy for me to say. <laughs> but um, the, in that whole game, Nick Maddison played very, very aggressively, and was by far the best batsman. Sean Abbott, who we had on the show, played brilliantly when he had the license to hit when he was with the tail and, and scored a runner ball 73. But Smith, if someone had uh, hypnotized him before he went out to thinking this was a T20 game. He probably would have gone out there and belted 100.
0: Well, it's a bit hard to play aggressively with 11 players on the onside and they're bowling at your league stump. But anyway... When you say 11, make it four. Well, it was like six, actually. <laughs> all right, well, look, that is it for this episode of Cricket Unfiltered. Thank you so much to Jim Maxwell and Sean Abbott for joining us. Next week, we'll cover all the news we sort of skipped over today, IPL auctions and uh, domestic news. We'll wait till we've got Jaleesa Apps back to, to get her weighty opinion. Paul, uh, have a good week. You too, men. Thanks, listeners. Back soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.